Amen. What a wonderful morning of worship and praise already. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to Acts, the book of the Acts, chapter 8, that's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, chapter 8. I want to speak this morning on what we've already seen displayed before us, which is baptism. This morning's message is titled, Here is Water. Here is Water. I want to make one comment while you're turning over there. What a wonderful video from our missions team. And I know that that moved your heart like it moved mine. And know that it may be God's will and in God's plan for you yourself to go on the next one. Whether that be to Uganda or some other place, this is a going church, especially on short-term partnerships and mission trips around the world. And every, just about everybody in this room can be a part of that. I know that there are job uh, things that prevent us from going sometimes, sometimes health, but all of us can be involved in some way, and most of us can go one day in the future. And my desire is that you will prayerfully consider that, and wherever God may lead, that you will say yes and go. Uh, and also to our video team, what an amazing video that was. Thank you for encouraging and blessing our hearts this morning. I want to again invite you to look at the book of the Acts, chapter 8, verses 25 through 40. Speaking about water baptism this morning, our main statement is this water baptism is not just the picture of salvation, it is the evidence it is real. Water baptism is not just the picture of salvation, it is the evidence that it is real. Now, let's just give a little backstory before we read the scripture today. The first time that we really read about water baptism in the New Testament sense comes from early in each of the Gospels. Each of the Gospels speaks of the baptism of Jesus. And of course, you know, if you read through the Gospels, that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Now, people were already being baptized by John the Baptist before Jesus came. And it was a baptism to symbolize repentance. What they would do is they would go down to the Jordan River typically, and John would begin baptizing, inviting people to repent. Repentance. Well, what does that word mean? You've heard me talk about this before, but the word repentance comes from the original language from a word metanoia, which means a change of mind. A change of mind. It's a demonstration that you see where you are and how you're thinking and the direction of your life and you're acknowledging this is not what God has for me. I am having a change of mind and I'm demonstrating that by water baptism. Well, that was the baptism of John. But then everything changed when it came to the baptism of repentance when Jesus who needed no change of mind, came and is now baptized by John. And he tells John, not for the sake of repentance, but in order that all righteousness might be fulfilled. So that being baptized, according to John, is about 
signifying a change of mind and life direction. But being baptized for Jesus was about being identified with the Heavenly Father and His righteous and good plan. And now we're looking at a story today about water baptism. Well, the church is launched at an event called Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes in power. You can read about it in Acts chapter 2. They were all together praying and then the Holy Spirit falls on them. They began to speak in other languages and all the people around understand the gospel and many believe and are saved and Peter instructs them once they say, hey, what must we do? He said, listen, repent and be baptized each one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that day, they baptized thousands of people. And the idea, by the way, of baptism is that the word baptized in the original language literally means to immerse with water. To immerse with water. And we're going to talk today about one man and his experience with water baptism. This is an Ethiopian man, and we read about him in Acts 8. Will you look in the scripture with me? Acts chapter 8, verses 25 and following. The disciple we're going to read about is Philip, and Philip has just been in Samaria preaching the gospel. You remember what Samaria is. Samaria is the group of people which have Jewish tradition, but not much Jewish bloodline because of complications of the divided kingdom and conquered kingdoms of the Old Testament. Their bloodlines had been kind of, let's just call diluted, so to speak, in the Old Testament. And because of the racial prejudice of the day exhibited by the Jews at that time, the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. So it was a huge deal that Philip went to Samaria and these people not only heard the gospel, they believed and received the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was, wow, well, Jesus is not just going to save the Jews, he's going to save Samaritans too. And we get to verse 25. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah and the prophet asked, do you understand what you are reading? Reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep 
he was led to the slaughter like a lamb before its shearer is silent so he opens not his mouth in his humiliation justice was denied him who can describe this generation for his life was taken from the earth and the eunuch said to philip about whom i ask you does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else then philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture he told him the good news about jesus and as they were going along the road they came to some water and the eunuch said see here is water what prevents me from being baptized now just a notation here i'm reading from the esv look down at your copy of scripture do you have a verse 37 i don't but verse 37 is not in the oldest manuscripts but if you have a copy of scripture that says verse 37 verse 37 says and philip said if you'll believe with all your heart you may and he replied believe that jesus christ is the son of god and say well i don't like that which one's right I, I have no idea but both of those are true statements verse 38 and he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water philip the eunuch and the eunuch and he baptized him and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. As he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Our main statement this morning is this. Water baptism is not just the picture of salvation. It is the evidence that it is real. So let's get the picture of what's going on here. The Ethiopian man, the Ethiopian eunuch, is traveling in a chariot. He's been to Jerusalem, and he's reading aloud. Now, ancient tradition, when it came to reading, was to read out loud. In fact, you were thought to have had something wrong with you if you read quietly to yourself. Because in order to read, you would read out loud. So it's no shock that by reading the scroll of Isaiah that this eunuch was, number one, an educated man. But he was reading the scroll, reading out loud, and Philip is able to hear it. Well, the Spirit prompts Philip to go over to the chariot and keep in mind what it would have envisioned is the eunuch is now in the chariot reading out loud. And here's Philip jogging along the side and listening in joining the caravan the eunuch would not have been alone this is an important man with his government there would have been soldiers there would have been other people there perhaps merchants traveling in this caravan with him so philip came up and he joined the chariot caravan so to speak and he's jogging along the side as he runs and he listens and then he asks the eunuch a question about does he understand what he is reading out of Isaiah well the first thing that I want to say about baptism this morning and looking at this passage is this is water baptism is God's public demonstration that the unapproachable God has approached us 
Water baptism is God's public demonstration that the unapproachable God has approached us. It is no accident that this man is from Ethiopia. What would that mean? Well, the Ethiopian likely was a black man. Not all Africans at this time would have been black, but he was likely, where he was from, a black man and likely of Jewish descent as well. If you know your Old Testament, you know that during the overthrow of Judah, the southern kingdom, that there were some Jews that fled into Africa for refuge during that time. And that through that, there were Jews that went down into Ethiopia and like the Samaritans intermarrying with the people of their, uh, the area that they had gone to over time takes upon the culture, takes upon the skin color, takes upon the practice. So there is likely a two-part thing here that number one, this is likely the first black African to believe the gospel. And not only that, that this is likely also a Jewish person, someone who has some Jewish descent as well. Now, why do we say that? Well, Gentiles who are non-Jews, Gentiles who are non-Jews were not included into the church until we read about it in Acts chapter 10. This is when Cornelius, the Roman centurion, believes and remember God sends St. Peter the vision of the sheet and drops the sheet and shows him all the unclean animals and says eat and he says I can't eat this is not a kosher table and God said listen what I've called clean don't you dare call unclean if I say it's clean it's clean signifying to Peter listen the gospel is for everyone who will believe that is regardless of ethnicity regardless of nationality regardless of skin color regardless of culture the gospel is for everyone well that's Acts chapter 10 we're still in Acts chapter 8 so many Bible scholars speculate you can't say it for absolute sure but this man probably was of some Jewish descent which would have created a problem for him he would have been barred from entering the temple beyond the court of the Gentiles. Now, you say, well, what is the court of the Gentiles? Well, perhaps you remember where Jesus got mad that day and flipped over tables. I know somebody's like, that's my favorite verse. But anyway, when he flipped over tables in the temple court, that was the court of the Gentiles. And you remember what he said that, listen, my father's house will be a house of prayer for all nations because the court of the Gentiles was the place where non Jews could come to the temple to worship, but they could not go any further. They would have been barred and placed on the outside. So the fact that this man was of perhaps some Jewish descent, that's probably why he had the scroll of Isaiah, probably why he went to Jerusalem in the first place, but also being of Gentile descent, he could not have gone past the court of the Gentiles. So Again, baptism is God's public demonstration that the unapproachable God has approached us. The Ethiopian man was likely a black man of some Jewish descent, and because he was a Gentile, he would not have been able to go beyond the court of the Gentiles. Uh, the next thing is this, because he was a eunuch, he would have been 
barred from entering the temple. Because he was a eunuch, he would have been barred from entering the temple. You say, well, I don't really know what a eunuch is, Brother Matt. Well, in ancient times, eunuchs were typically people who served either wealthy people or served kings or princes. Typically, they were assigned to the harems of kings or assigned to serve the queen or the queen mother or the princesses. These would have been men who have had their reproductive organs removed. And it was believed in the ancient world that eunuchs were very faithful servants. And it was very typical. In fact, it was so typical for a eunuch to be trustworthy that they were often in charge of the treasury. And this is exactly what we find here. I wonder if this man had read Deuteronomy 23. Deuteronomy 23.1, it says, No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Now, I know somebody's probably thinking, Oh, Brother Matt, you just said testicles in church. But um, no, it's here in the Scripture. Let's think about this for just a second. Why is that even in there? It's in the Scripture. Why would somebody with some kind of physical defect or someone who has been through some surgical procedure to have this part of their body removed, why are they barred from the temple? Well, because inside the temple, the temple was to signify the Garden of Eden, the Holy of Holies, the place of life where there is nothing wrong. And by bringing a defect into the temple, it would be corrupting the image of the temple because in the temple, everything was meticulously cared for. Everything had to be so precise because it was reflecting who God is in his holiness and perfection. And because of this, God says, listen, when it comes to eunuchs, when it comes to people with sexual defects and stuff like that, uh, they're not going to be able to enter the temple. I wonder if the eunuch had read that and thought, well, good grief, that not only can I not go past the court of the Gentiles, I'm not even welcome in the building. I wonder if he'd read that. Uh, but also, because he was reading Isaiah, he likely identified with these words. I, I want you to go back and just, just look down in the scripture again in verse number 32. It, this is, we'll, we'll go to Isaiah 56, 1 through 5 in just a second, but let's just look at verse 32 again. This is what the book of the Acts says that he was reading. And I wonder, because like when you read the Bible and I read the Bible, like for for instance, when I read and I'm in a low place and I read David's words, out of the depths I cry out to you, my God, I identify with that. It comes as no surprise to me that the eunuch is identifying with these words. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. For his life is, who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now, the idea of life here meaning that his seed is cut off. He's no longer going to have children. Now think about it. If you're an Ethiopian eunuch, you're a man who's had his reproductive organs removed and, and likely against your will, perhaps it happened as a child, but likely as an adult, against your will, you are not going to have children. You're not going to have a wife. 
You're not going to be able to do this. And you didn't want to do it in the first place. Like a sheep, you were led to the slaughter. And something was taken from you that you did not want to give. And yet it was. I wonder if the Ethiopian was reading Isaiah and thought, good night, this speaks to me. I wonder if he read Isaiah chapter 56, verses 1 through 5, which says this, Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing evil, any evil. Let not the foreigner, I wonder if this Ethiopian man thought, he's talking to me. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Oh, and God just piles it on for this guy now. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. I wonder if the eunuch read that and thought, good night, there is hope for me in Jerusalem. I wonder if he read there in Isaiah 53 that he had something taken from him. You're never going to have children. You're going to be single the rest of your life. You are going to spend the rest of your life celebrating the life of children vicariously through others. And he comes along and he reads this and God says, listen to the eunuchs, to the foreigners that come and worship me and follow me. I'm going to give them a name better than any name that could be given to them by any son or daughter. I wonder if the eunuch read that and thought, good grief, whatever they're giving away in Jerusalem, I want it. No wonder he asks, Philip, is the prophet talking about himself or somebody else? Because if the prophet is talking about himself, the eunuch's question would be, well, however in the world do I get what he's given away? And if he's talking about somebody else, the follow-up question is, tell me about whoever he's talking about because I need to know this man. Water baptism is God's public demonstration that the unapproachable God has approached us. Remember, it was water baptism. In the Old Testament, it was the lamb that was carried into the temple where no one else could go any further and was slaughtered there on the altar by the priests. And there it was. The Ethiopian eunuch would have never even gotten close enough to see this. But in John 3, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Because the gospel is that that lamb that went into the temple has now come out. That the God that was in the Holy of Holies has now come out. And we have felt Him. We've touched Him. We've seen Him. We've heard Him. That the unapproachable God has become approachable. And here is the message for the Ethiopian eunuch that Philip is going to say. He's going to say, son, He came for you. He came for you. Water baptism is the public demonstration of believing faith. Principle number two. 
Water baptism is the public demonstration of believing faith. Well, let's talk about a couple things first. Water baptism by immersion is not about being identified with church tradition. Now, we, we know that it does. For instance, we baptize in a certain way here because of what we believe the Scripture teaches, that baptism means to be immersed in the water, and it is for believers. That's our understanding of Scripture. Um, but again, I have respect for other traditions as well. I'm not going to say that everybody's right, but I'm going to say that I have respect for my brothers and sisters, and I, but I do believe that this is what the Scripture teaches about immersion when it comes to baptism. Notice there in the Scripture it says when they went down into the water and they and the eunuch, this is verse number 38, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him, and when they came up out of the water... The, the very word baptize means to immerse. It means to be put into the water. But even with all of that, the most important thing is that God has come out. But water baptism is the public demonstration of believing faith. And water baptism by immersion is not about being identified with the church tradition, even though that is a side thing that happens. If you want to be a member of a Baptist church, you're baptized by immersion. But that's not why we get baptized. We get baptized to be identified with Christ. We get baptized as a celebration of what Christ has done in our life. Baptism services should be a celebration. Did you hear about the, the man and the wife that went to their 25-year high school reunion? And uh, it had been a while since they'd gone and he, the man was there with his wife. They were at their 25-year classroom reunion, and there was this woman there that was just totally plastered. She was drunk and just totally out of control, loud and rambunctious, and couldn't even stand up straight. And His wife leaned over and said, uh, you see Cindy over there? I, I, don't, I don't remember that. He said, well, honey, I don't know if you remember this, but Cindy and I used to date. And after I ditched her, dumped her, they said that she crawled into a bottle and she's drank ever since. And the woman said, my, 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 that certainly is a long time to celebrate. Um, <laughs> but anyway... Water baptism is not about being identified with tradition. It's about a celebration of what Christ has done. Water baptism by immersion is being identified with Christ over all other religions and spiritual powers in this world. Let me say a couple things real quick. This was an Ethiopian man. And Ethiopians at that time, not the modern country of Ethiopia, this would have been the ancient country of Cush, most likely, a Cushite. Uh, if you're reading through the Old Testament or have this year, remember Moses married a Cushite wife. Uh, likely Moses had a black wife. Um, so anyway, um, in ancient times in the kingdom of Cush, the royal family served a dual function. The king would have been viewed as a god or a son of the gods. And he would have been too precious and too holy to approach. So he was kept away from the common people. And because of that, 
The woman, her official title was Candace and Cush, the woman would run the country. Because the king was a god, so to speak, they believed Candace was the one that was a title, not a proper name, even though some of you may have the, the name Candace. Um, but Candace, the title, like Pharaoh or king or governor, she would have been the one in her nation to make all the decisions and to run the country and to accomplish the will of the unapproachable king of Cush. And this man was serving under this system. He was serving under a system that saw this man to be a god. Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 15 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him the fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And if you have been filled in him, in whose head of all rule and authority, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were in, dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands that he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them and him. Shorthand, by being baptized, it's an announcement to all the powers of hell. This one doesn't belong to you anymore. Their sin is paid for. Also, water baptism by immersion is being identified with the work of Christ. Not only is it an announcement to the evil powers, an announcement to this perverse and wicked generation that we've always lived in, even since before the time of Christ, it is an identification with who Jesus is. For the sake of time, I'm not going to reread Colossians 2, 8 through 15, but we just read that. Which brings me to the final thing, which is this. Is water baptism is a response to the drawing of the Holy Spirit. Water baptism is a response to the drawing of the Holy Spirit. I love what the eunuch says in chapter 8, verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. Now, in order to appreciate this, we have to reread the very first verse of this section. Look at verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a, what does it say? A desert place. Is there much water in the desert? No, not much. Not much. So I think it's no surprise that this eunuch, after Philip had begun with the Scriptures, and he is asked, is the Scripture speaking about this man, the prophet, or is it speaking about another? And the Scripture says, beginning from there, Philip told him about Jesus. And after hearing what Jesus had done for him, 
and how Jesus came and was baptized and identified with the righteousness of God and that he lived a blameless life, one that none of us could ever live. And then he allowed himself to be slain by governing and ruling powers for you and me. And then after dying cruelly on the cross was resurrected from the dead and now whoever believes in his name can be saved. The eunuch, after hearing all of this, says, and I love the way he says it. See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? You see, in the Old Testament, there was a whole lot that prevented him from being baptized. In the Old Testament, brother, you can appreciate this story, but it's not for you. But now, it's son. Come to the water. It is for everyone who believes. Water baptism by immersion is the acknowledgement of the movement and the, the history of the Holy Spirit. Water baptism by immersion is the acknowledgement of the movement and the history of the Holy Spirit. It is when we are baptized by water, we are acknowledging what the Holy Spirit has done in history. And then number two is the final thing. Water baptism by immersion is the acknowledgement and the movement and the moment of the Holy Spirit right now. You know, I hear a lot of talk these days about how bad the world's getting. I hear a lot of talk these days about how the church is waning and how culture is falling apart and everybody seems to be negative and it doesn't seem like God is doing as much as he used to do in many ways. It's just so easy to be negative. It seems like it's a desert place at times when you look out there. But friends, even in the desert, there are pools for people to come to Christ. And I want to ask you, Bible scholars tell us that likely this was the last pool that the Ethiopian eunuch would have come to before entering the desert. And the Ethiopian eunuch saw it and he thought, if I'm going to do it, it better be right now. What prevents me? Philip said, nothing, son. I want to ask you a personal question. Not have you been baptized, but have you ever called upon the name of Jesus, believing that he is exactly who he said he was, the Son of God, who came to us, lived, died, was buried, resurrected from the grave, and he offers salvation to you and me. Have you ever asked Jesus to come into your life and save you? And if not, you need to do that this morning. You say, well, what would I need to do? There is nothing preventing you, folks. All you have to say is, Lord, I believe it, and I want it. That's enough. Then I want to ask you the follow-up question. Have you ever, like these two we saw earlier, been baptized? We just saw Darby. We just saw Will earlier. They say, listen, this is a symbol. This is a picture of what God has done in my life. I talked to Darby beforehand, and Darby trusted Christ as a child and uh, is here today professing Christ through baptism. I, I've talked to a lot of people. This is not a, a conversation I've had with Darby, but others that have said this. is like, Brother Matt, I, I made a profession of faith as a child, but I'm not really sure if it's, if it's real but I, I think I need to be baptized because I, I never did that. 
My answer is, if you feel the compulsion to be baptized, it means what happened was real. Because people who are saved want to be like Jesus. So following their example, following the example of this man, what prevents you from being baptized? If you've not done that, you can do that. June the 11th, we're going to have a baptism service here. There's already a couple that are scheduled to be baptized, and who knows, you may be one of them too. If you've not done this, you call the church, you reach out to me, and you say, listen, I need to be baptized. I want to be a part of that baptism service. Let me say a prayer for us, and we'll have our time of invitation. Heavenly Father, will you do your work in the way you see fit? Lord, we thank you for Jesus. It's in that name we pray. Amen.